Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The presenting sponsor of today's podcast is Fifth Element CBD. Fifth Element is ultra-high milligram CBD focused on relief and recovery after a workout. They are specially designed for people with an active lifestyle from weekend warriors to professional athletes to bucket list gym enthusiasts. Fifth Element, aka 5E, is full-spectrum high milligram hemp to help you whenever, wherever you need it, whether it's after the gym or after work. Get yours today to feel better tomorrow by visiting 5ehemp.com and use the promo code MONSTER for 50% off. Yes, you heard that right. 50% off. Half off. That's 5ehemp.com and use the code MONSTER. Go to 5ehemp and get 50% off. That's the number 5, the letter E, hemp.com. Welcome back to another episode on your Over the Monster podcast feed. Uh, we are here with you a day later than we usually are, but, uh, you know, weekend plans and things like that. We decided to bring this to you Monday morning instead of Sunday morning. It is the uh, ALCS Game 2 reaction show, a little bit more upbeat than the Game 1 reaction. Uh, Red Sox jumped out way ahead early in Game 2, uh, never really looked back. There were a couple stressful moments there in the middle, maybe a little bit, but for the most part, smooth sailing for Boston in Houston. And uh, for this one, it is uh, me, Matt, and I am joined by Bob. Uh, Bob, how are we doing today? Doing well, Matt. Feeling good. Uh, glad you asked me to join this one rather than the Game 1 pod. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I got stuck with both of these, but you know. <laughs> better than two losses, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, I guess... Generally, big picture, um, I mean, obviously, it started with the two Grand Slams, one Grand Slam in each of the first two innings, a historic feat for the Red Sox with two Grand Slams in a playoff game um, in those two innings. First one from J.D. Martinez went the other way, showed off that power. Um, Ankle looked fine. You know, he's been sort of up and down, him and Devers, and Devers hit the second one, so it was kind of... Kind of nice that the two injured guys, the guys who um, obviously are two of the most important players on this roster have been banged up. They're the two guys who hit the Grand Slam and really just set the tone for this game. Um, I mean, did you have anything in particular about either one of those Grand Slams or just the two in concert um, and just specifically the guys that hit them and the circumstances they've yeah, been I, uh, playing I, through? 
I think the general approach uh, in the first couple of innings was excellent yesterday. They were um, getting into uh, good hitters counts. You know, Schwarber's double was on a 2-0 pitch. There was a, a walk to set up by Verdugo that set up the grand slam by JD. Um, you know, Garcia, for one reason or another, really didn't look like he had much. But then he opens the second with the four-pitch walk. And it just seemed like they got into into good counts, um, had a smart approach. We're trying to, you know, get, as we talked about in the in the preview pod before the series, you know, work these starters um into higher pitch counts. And even though Garcia left with an injury, I just think in general, they, uh, there was just a sound approach across the board. And you're right. I mean, the two players who we were concerned about injury wise, uh, these are lessening my concerns uh, with each passing game. Yeah. And I mean, especially with Martinez, just because the swing that he had to make there, um, going out to get that pitch sort of a little bit down the zone on the outer half. And I mean, he was using his legs at, I mean, his, his feet were a main part of that swing. So he, that he was able to drive that like that, obviously that's when, you know, JD Martinez is at his best is when he's hitting bombs the other way. So um, that was encouraging. And like you said, I mean, just the overall, um, overall approach and getting to these pitchers early. Um, I mean, like you mentioned Garcia, Garcia to leave early with an injury and we're going to get to the whole fiasco of the 45 minutes that it took uh, between changing pitchers. But um, even if he hadn't left with injury, I mean, I think it was pretty clear to anybody watching. He was not going to last long in that game, healthy or no. Um, the Red Sox were all over him. And I mean, that's impressive for two reasons. Obviously the one, like you talked about, like Keaton has talked about throughout the um, preview pod for the series is just getting to this bullpen and getting these pitchers out early and especially with Garcia and Valdez I mean these are two guys that dominated the Red Sox the first time they faced them Valdez twice Garcia just the one time uh, but they played him back in June when the Red Sox were really rolling and um, the Red Sox were able to kind of figure him out this time and clearly had a different approach especially with Valdez um, but also Garcia and just being more patient and making the pitchers get ahead so they can use those secondaries. So, I mean, that was all very impressive. And Odorizzi just didn't have anything. I mean, he looked he looked pretty awful. He, he gave up. I guess he only gave it the four home, uh, the four runs, but um, three of them came on the grand slam. But he was just getting hit all around. So, uh, Red Sox offense, I mean, this is – it's no secret. This is what they need to win games is the offense. So, that was um, that was encouraging. And, I mean, Kike – Kiki Hernandez um, also had his obligatory home run, which it's not a Red Sox game these days without Kiki Hernandez going yard. Yeah, so and that made it nine nothing, and it was really irrelevant in the whole scheme of things. But then you start seeing the the history of what he's running into here, where he's he's tied a couple of David Ortiz performances, and you know, of course, Todd Walker in two thousand three. So now he has five home runs and four strikeouts in the playoffs. Um, just incredible and yeah it was not the story of the game but it's been the story of the playoffs is just in the incredible confidence that he has if you leave anything out over the plate he's going to crush it right now um so yeah i mean that was just kind of the icing on the cake and yeah i mean odorizzi didn't look like he was maybe even aware that he was on the roster going into that <laughs> game uh on saturday night um you know when they came out of commercial and he was playing long toss uh that was just that was pretty shocking and made me feel a lot better about the situation. I was kind of surprised they didn't, I think, you know, you had the same thought just that they didn't have anybody loose already. You know, I think that 
Dusty and Cora kind of manage opposite styles. You wonder if you know Cora's managing that team if he even would have let Garcia come out for the second inning after the way he looked in the first. Yeah, yeah, and I mean even um, I mean even if you let Garcia out, I think a Cora move um, probably is not even bringing Odorizzi in at that point. It's usually I mean Cora's thing is if he's not obviously not afraid to go to the starting pitching Tyson in the bullpen, but I think he tries to give him the clean inning and. Um, or does he have to come in the middle of the inning? And like you said, right. I mean, just clearly unprepared. Um, maybe some gamesmanship there. I mean, I, I don't remember what the official time was uh, between the pitching changes, but I mean, they were actually pushing a half hour, and we were talking about it a little bit before the show. It's obviously the reasoning for the rule is sound. You don't want a pitcher getting hurt to just lead to a barrage of pitchers getting hurt because they're not having time to warm up and all that. So, I mean, you give them the time they need to warm up, but there's got to be some judgment there from the umpire. And I'm not even saying the Astros are necessarily doing anything nefarious there, but just for the sake of the fans. I mean, like you said, the just the way my heart dropped when he was behind the mound, just softly <laughs> tossing it into the catcher after a yeah, full I commercial almost went break. Out and, yeah, I was going to mow the lawn when I saw that. But, <laughs> yeah, um... exactly. <laughs> It's, it's it, that, I mean, that sort of stuff can't happen. And um, these playoff games are long enough as it is. And we're talking about a um, playoff commercial break, too, that he came back from. So, you know, that's like at least five minutes that he had already been warming up. Um, right. But, you know, we don't want to we don't we don't want to sound like the sore losers here since the Red Sox did win the game. And that was um, that was just a little annoying more than anything else. But um, agreed a little bit over. Maybe not overshadowed, um, but I mean, the offense definitely stole the headlines. Um, but Nathan Avaldi was good. I mean, he wasn't, it wasn't some all time dominant performance. Uh, gave up three runs and five and a third, only struck out three. But obviously, this is the Astros offense we're talking about here. They don't strike out. And um, he really, I thought, had all of his secondaries working uh, tremendously well. The fastball, I think he left a lot of fastballs kind of over the plate and didn't get a lot of swings and misses he, with the other secondaries and how, obviously, how hard he throws the fastball. It's, um, even if he does catch the plate, if they're not totally ready for it, they can that can induce some weak contact, and he was fine. But um, I think if you were going to pick Nitz, the fastball probably could have been a little bit better. But at the end of the day, the Red Sox not only needed a good start from Evaldi, but they needed him to give them some innings, and five and a third isn't going super deep. But that's I mean, that's what the Red Sox needed, obviously. It's a little bit easier to pitch when you get an 8 nothing lead after two innings. But um, I don't know. It, do you have any thoughts about Evaldi against obviously what's an incredible Astros offense? Yeah, and he I thought that he threw strikes and he pitched to contact. Uh, you know, fifty three strikes and eighty one pitches, uh, just one walk in the three strikeouts. I think when you're staked with an eight run lead in the second inning, he did exactly what you should do. You know, he like you said, he gave them some length, got into the sixth inning, um, still, you know, just eighty one pitches. So if Something crazy happens here where if they lose games three and four, I feel like it's not like he was crazy overworked that he might be able to come back for a game five type of situation yeah. in a pinch. Um, you know, hopefully it doesn't come to that. But like I said, just pitch to contact. All the pitches were, um, you know, working pretty well. And I just think that he probably had a slightly different approach once it got to eight nothing um, and leaves with a nine three lead. So he did everything that you could have asked for. There was a interesting note uh, on Twitter from Peter Gammons where he said of the 22 starts from American League teams in the playoffs, 
Uh, only six of those have made it through five innings, and three of those are Nate Evaldi, and the fourth That's one is is Eduardo Rodriguez. So, you know, we talk about Cora going to the bullpen early if they don't have it, but four of the six have been Red Sox pitchers, and three of those are Evaldi. So he has given that to them from the wild card game on, um, and really just been as good as anybody in the American League so far. Yeah, I mean, he's um, it's it's pretty much impossible to overstate what he's meaning to this team right now, especially the way, I mean, Sale just hasn't looked like Chris Sale, and it's hard to expect to get too much out of him from any game going forward, so you really need at least one guy that you can count on. We're seeing it on the other side. Uh, with Houston, they don't have Lance McCullers, who came in, who was supposed to come into the series as their number one, and he was going to be the guy they leaned on. They don't have him. We see their next two pitchers go out early. They don't have the McCullers to lie back on. The Red Sox, after losing a frustrating one and where their pitcher gets knocked out early, they have Evaldi to go back on. Um, I think there was, pro- I, I think in hindsight, it was probably not the right decision to um, go with Sale game one over Evaldi, but the way things shake out, I mean, I suppose it doesn't really matter at this point. They got the one game um, on the road that they were looking for. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, you know, I, I think a lot of it just had to do with them wanting to know what they had from Sale. And if they had lost game one and Sale was coming back in game two and he didn't have it, you're really yeah. in a tough hole at that point. So I understand it. I don't know if I would have personally made that decision, um, especially because the earlier you throw Evaldi, the earlier you can get him back in. And then if he throws a game five, you might be able to use him in relief in a, a game seven. I'd rather have him available as much as possible for all the reasons we just talked about. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and then as we move into the Red Sox bullpen, um, soft four relievers for the Red Sox, Adovino, Whitlock, Hernandez, and Brazier. Um, Hernandez was the only guy that didn't really look good. We'll get to that in a second because that also affects um, or brings into the conversation Bob's guy, Big Fudge. But I want to start uh, with Whitlock. I thought my biggest complaint from game one was that Whitlock didn't get in. Um, I think it's inexcusable to lose a game without your best pitcher, lose a close game like that without your best pitcher even touching the ball. Um, I was glad to see Cora was more aggressive here. It was maybe not totally necessary, but with a day off the next day, I think it's obviously fine. They had a six-run lead when Ottavino came in in the seventh. Um, I got actually a little bit worried about him just when he walked. Jason Castro, the nine guy, um, and then the top of the order coming up, there was a little bit of panic there that this might be uh, one of the very rare bad outings for Whitlock, but I mean, he came back and just, he got two quick outs um, against Altuve Brantley and then comes back one, two, three against Bregman, Alvarez and Correa. I mean, this kid, there's really nothing that hasn't been said about him. Um, he's, he deserves every bit of praise he got. Um, and he has been getting and will continue to get because like I said, I mean that it was a six run game, but when you walk the nine guy in this kind of lineup, um, for a rookie on this stage, it wouldn't have been too hard to see him kind of give in and things to go down poor, uh, go down pretty quickly after that. But I just thought that composure was really impressive. Absolutely. And a hat tip as well to uh, Christian Arroyo, who made a play basically in right field yes. to end one of those innings. Um, you know, I think it was on Brantley's ball where, you know, he yes. did a 360 and throws the one hopper really not looking at where he was on the field, just trusting his instincts on that was outstanding. But yeah, I mean, Whitlock, I totally agree. Wish he was in in game one. Would have rather seen him pitch one uh, inning in each game, especially down a run with the top of the order coming up. I mean, 
you know, not to look back on game one, but once it seemed inevitable to me, once they got up by two, that the Red Sox were going to hit a solo home run and it was going to be yeah, an yeah, irrelevant exactly. one. But what's done is done. And you're right. I think he went a little over aggressive in two places, both with going two innings with Whitlock and then not wasting any time to bring Brazier in, in a four run game with uh, two outs and nobody on. It was just like, no, yeah. like let's end this right here. Enough of this nonsense. Yeah. So he was uh, a little more aggressive in game two. Yeah, I mean, there was there was no way he was going to let that even get um, a little bit stressful there in the ninth. And, I mean, Darwinson, um, it was strange. I thought that he was on the roster to begin with. Um, just seems like the worst kind of pitcher to go against the Astros. I mean, I guess I could see the total opposite argument, that they don't strike out, so you want a guy who does strike guys out. But to me, um, your guy, a big fudge, Austin Davis, was... Um, was clearly the better choice in my opinion and I mean you don't judge these things by one appearance I guess I mean we've seen what Darwin Hernandez can do it he when he has it but um struggled in this one gave up two home runs uh to guys that aren't really I mean these aren't the big power hitters in this lineup Yuli Gurriel is a fantastic hitter but it's not really for the power he's more of an average guy and Jason Castro is the nine hitter I was talking about earlier and he's better hitter than uh Maldonado but still not a great hitter so um wasn't consequential in this game and this is the kind of game where you only this is the only kind of game where you want to see Darwin's and Hernandez is in a blowout but right um it kind of reinforces the idea that he's in case anybody gets any other ideas like he's not somebody you want in a game that's within six five six runs yeah and that, I was just going to say to you what scenario could you see them bring him in at this point and it's that right so if yeah. that's the case you know fake an injury you're not going to bring him back on the world series roster you know i know you lose him for the next series but i just don't see any scenario where he comes in unless you run out of pitchers in a game that's less than than three runs at this point yeah i mean i don't even think three runs is um a big enough margin he's i mean that's him and that's martin perez although martin perez did get into the game one and that was the whole nother thing but um (laughs) i mean those two guys are the bottom of the bullpen and um, I guess Sal Moore too. Although he also done Friday's game. I don't. Know. We're talking too much about Friday's game. I can't get that out of my mind. But I know. Um, yeah, I mean, so and Brazier came in like you said. Cora was not messing around. Um, Brazier came in, got the one out. Only needed four pitches. So obviously he'll be he'll be good to go for the next one. But um, I mean, overall the pitching gave up five runs. But I think um, I think that looks worse than the pitching did. I, I'm with you on all of that, and um, you know, I think overall they they played it aggressively while still getting uh, enough innings out of Ivaldi to give some of the relievers a rest. And knowing that you had today off, like you said, Brazier only threw four pitches. Um, you know, he didn't need to go to Hulk there, so I think that everybody will be rested for what is a very big stretch. I mean, this is the first time that there will be three games in three consecutive days in the playoffs. So, uh, I. You know, I Whitlock threw two innings, so uh, you know maybe he'll throw two of the three games in the middle. But overall, I think everyone's rested. Yeah, yeah, nobody. There shouldn't be anybody unavailable um, on this one moving forward. And just to kind of reset things for these next three games, obviously crucial um, in a one-one series. Red Sox um, decided to go with Eduardo Rodriguez for Game Three over Nick Pavetta. Um, I was curious if you were surprised about that at all. Is that um, something you agree with doesn't really matter yeah i i think i would have given a slight edge to pavetta and he also has uh, more rest i mean we haven't seen him since the the extra innings 
where he threw four innings yeah. there. So I thought he might have gotten the ball, but, um, you know, either way, I, I think that they'll both be involved multiple times if this series goes back to Houston um, one way or another. I'm sure we'll see them each two more times, whether it's as a starter or in relief. And, you know, Corey didn't rule out pitching Pavetta in relief in game three, which I don't exactly want to see because then I don't yeah. know what you're doing in game four. But, uh, you know, said that there's a possibility of that happening. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the only scenario that happens is if Rodriguez just doesn't have it and you know it right, right away and you just get Pavetta in there to try and uh, try and get in the game while you still have a chance. But other than that, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't think we're going to see that. This isn't, this isn't a division series with five games, and you got to be a little more conservative with your pitching. I think we're still going to see Cora be very aggressive, but there's, there's some more limitations here. And, um, yeah. I mean, the pitching matchup for Game Three is an interesting one: Rodriguez against Urquidy. Um, the latter, the Red Sox face once struggled, just like the other two guys, but um, six innings, one run, nine strikeouts, um, one walk. He's been a little bit shakier. He had some health issues in the middle of the year, but um, I mean, like I said, the Red Sox have made that adjustment and have been able to come back against guys like Garcia and Valdez. So obviously, we're hoping for the same there. The other side of the coin, Rodriguez had pretty much the same outing in both of his starts against Houston, four and two thirds, uh, six runs for both of those. So um, I think we'll be able to tell right away if Rodriguez has it, but that's going to be that's going to be a big thing to watch if the if Houston is still picking up on whatever they were picking up on earlier in the year. Yeah. And Urquidy, I think, um, you know, we'll, we'll throw, he's a strike thrower. He's not going to strike a ton of guys out, but uh, only throughout his career walks 1.7 batters per nine. It was even lower than that this season, had a 362 ERA. Um, Like you said, pitched well in June against them. Although I don't think we can take anything that happened back then at this point, but this is a huge game for Houston. You know, not saying that anything is a must-win at this point, but what Houston has behind Urquidy, I mean, this rotation kind of has been a mess since we last talked. Losing McCullers, Garcia going out with an injury, you don't know what you're going to have from him, if anything, later in the series, and they don't really have anyone to throw game four. So uh, it's really essential for them not only you know, to, to win this game, but also to for Urquidy to go deep into the game because playing three days in a row and they already seem to be a little bit shorthanded with uh, reliable pitchers, which is just, you know, not what we foresaw three days ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this series, it's 1-1, but it really feels like the Red Sox have the advantage. And um, I'm really interested to see how they're going to approach Urquidy um, at the plate because, I mean, like you say, you want to get into that Astros bullpen and make them continue to work but at the same time this is a guy who's going to fill up the strike zone so uh being patient doesn't necessarily play to your advantage in this case because they're just going to fall behind so i think that's that's going to be an interesting chess move um or chess game or match whatever you call chess i don't know how to play chess <laughs> um i had a simpsons chess set when i was a kid yeah, i never really tell you anything about chess. <laughs> <laughs> um but th- i think that'll be one of the one of the more interesting things to watch in this game um yeah. All right, so before we wrap up, anything about Game 2 or Game 3 I uh, haven't mentioned yet that uh should be talking about? No, I, I think that a key part was just the, the Houston lineup. I mean, their top two hitters were 0 for 9 in Game 2, and their top five hitters were 3 for 20, and those are some outstanding hitters um, that were in there for the entire game and really didn't do any damage. So um, that was big. Uh, I think, you know, just 
multi-hit games in addition to Enrique, but also Bogarts and Verdugo and JD. And it's just kind of up and down the lineup. And, you know, like we said, game one was winnable. Uh, game two was an easy win. And then you feel like the pitching lines up a little bit in your favor for this three game, uh, you know, mini set here in the middle of the series. So uh, I definitely like the way that it's shaping up, obviously, with a long way to go. Yeah. And I mean, going back home to that Fenway crowd, it's been um, it's been oh, yeah. so key for them in this playoff so far. So um, that will be that should be a big factor once again. And um, yeah, we're going to be back with you again uh, Tuesday morning right after. Uh, Monday's game three so uh, before be sure to be checking this feed obviously all week we're going to be with you after every single game uh, and if you did enjoy what you heard uh, we ask please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts uh, leave us a rating and, re- and a review if that is possible on that podcast platform uh, you can follow us on Twitter I run the over the monster account at over the monster Bob is at Bob Osgood 15 and uh, you can find all of our writing throughout the week at over the monster.com And uh, we'll be back with you tomorrow.